0: You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live.
1: It's showtime, everybody. Good evening. Welcome to Review and Preview. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside my lovely co-host for the evening, Hank Indictor. A little background here. uh, Change just for this week, folks. Apologies. um, I have to use my green screen. Hank, how are you doing?
0: Uh, I'm doing pretty good, but as always, I have to stick with the Lawrence Taylor, Mariano Rivera jerseys, a.k.a. the two goats. And I should probably make room and put my uh, either Henrik Lundqvist or Mark Messier jersey up there, because i got to get a Rangers jersey somewhere in the mix, now.
1: Yeah, you probably should make it the big three back there. But, folks, make sure to go check us out on all of our social media platforms here at Review and Preview Sports on Instagram, Twitter, Anchor for Audio podcast. YouTube for our video clips, our Facebook page. Give us a like and a thumbs up if uh, you enjoy what you watch. And our TikTok at review and preview. So it has been one hell of a week in the world of sports. We have a lot to talk about tonight. Quick synopsis of what we're going to discuss. We're going to recap the top week, week 13 NFL games, go over our studs and duds for the NFL that week, Preview week 14, quick synopsis of the college football playoff, talk about the transfer portal that's heating up with all these quarterbacks wanting to switch schools, and then our thoughts on Aaron Judge staying with the Yankees and Jacob DeGrom leaving the Mets. And without further ado, let's get to our first comment of the evening. Noah Dibler saying hello. Get fired up, old boys. Shout out to you, Noah. Thank you so much for the comment. Uh, Noah, one of our biggest fans. Make sure to check him out on pucking Around
0: Tuesdays at 7 p.m. here on Ravion Preview Sports. Brian Leach, yeah, that's another one that I was thinking after I mentioned Mark Messier. I do. It is my honest opinion that Brian Leach is the greatest ranger of all time, and I'm sure there are plenty of people within the fan base that that would agree with me. I think the only other ones that you can really put up there besides him, maybe... um, Maybe Andy Bathgate, a good winger from the 50s and the 60s, or if I'm going to go way back, I would have to say um, two-thirds of the breadline, Bill Cook and Frank Boucher, but that's a topic for another day. Brian Leach definitely is worthy of being in my jersey ring of honor.
1: Absolutely. He was an outstanding ranger, but Hanks, let's get into the meat of tonight's schedule the top week 13 NFL games and folks if you have any comments throughout the course of the show want to drop them please feel free to do so we appreciate and love all our fans and the support over the past several years now and our first game we're going to recap is Gabe's Minnesota Vikings edging the New York Jets by a final score of twenty. Mike White is human after all he threw the game clinching Interception to Cameron Bynum with 16 seconds left in the game. The Vikings are now six and one at home this season, improving to 10 and two overall. Hank, the Jets gave the Vikings a
0: good run for their money. They did. And I figured that would be the case. But ultimately, you know, I think if you're a Jets fan, one of your takeaways is. I don't know that you can even think about going back to Zach Wilson. It seems to me like Mike White, based on what's been happening lately, has been giving the Jets the better chance of winning the games. And by the way, I do want to give a shout out to uh, Nick Morgeson. I'm sure he's probably watching. And of course, Gabe Flayton, both of those guys, I was talking about with this game in depth. Both of them are fans of the teams that are playing. So that was a lot of fun on our last episode and Tom, I'm sorry we couldn't get you on that one, but I was glad to see you jamming it up in the comments by the end of that show too.
1: Yeah, that was an awesome show. I uh, was very happy about that. Another comment from our boy, Garth, Michael Patrick saying, what's up, let's go at the gym, killing it in your guys honor. Garth, we appreciate you. Um, big fan of our big fan. Oh, Garth's a legend. Um, the Vikings aren't an elite football team this year. Um, you know, Defensively, their strength is not their secondary at the moment outside of Harrison Smith. Um, Garrett Wilson had a game going for 160-plus receiving yards. Um, the Vikings did a pretty good job moving the ball down the field. Nothing um, <clears throat> pretty deep. Justin Jefferson limited to just 45 receiving yards. Gabe told us on the show last week, that the Jets would do a good job closing in on Justin Jefferson, forcing Kirk to throw to other options, which that's exactly what the Jets' defense did. Sauce Gardner did a really, really nice job. Um, So I was very happy to see that for the Jets' perspective. But look, Hank, the Jets are still the seventh seed after 13 weeks. I still think they have a shot to make the AFC playoffs this year. It'll be interesting to see – how they come back against the Buffalo Bills, because that's definitely a very challenging matchup for for them and for the Vikings. They're at Detroit next week. So um, two good football teams. Minnesota just got the little edge off the Jets.
0: Yeah, no, I think you pretty much nailed it on the head. The Vikings are definitely in solid contention for the NFC. And, you know, their chances of going to the Super Bowl – May have just gotten a lot bigger with some injury news that we'll talk about. But obviously, we have to talk about our New York football giants tying the commanders. And, Tom, what do you say about a tie? Like, this This is never, like, well, actually, no, it has happened in our lifetime. But we were in diapers during the beginning of the Jim Fossil era. So, obviously, we don't remember the 7-7 tie week 13 of the ninety seven season, but twenty-five years later, you know, same uh same result, same team, although albeit in a different location because that the last tie was actually in DC at FedEx Field. That was the that was the Gus Ferrat headbanger, if I remember correctly. Yes, it
1: was. You have a fond memory, my friend. Um yeah, as Deanna comments, no Rangers tonight, question mark.
0: Actually, let me show Deanna my shirt right here. This is my reverse retro shirt from Weebly Blue.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hank's always got to pull that one out on us. Um,
0: and if you really look closely behind the LT jersey, that is a Rangers fathead.
1: Yeah. Uh, Hank, you, you, my friend, don't learn. You continue to go to games, Rangers games, Yankees games, Giants games, even when they're losing. That is one stand-up fan right there that loves his sports team. So. <laughs> Shout
0: out what to you! What can I tell you? I am a glutton for punishment.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, um, yeah. the The Giants, I definitely wasn't expecting a tie, and we're going to save most of this recap for tomorrow night on on Big Blue Avenue. But it's tough. I mean, with the way the game was played late, man, this is this kind of makes sense, if you believe it or not. Um, here's the way I look at this game. Washington won six out of their last seven and nobody expected the Giants to, uh, you know, compete. I feel like at this level after losing three out of their last four. Now, granted they did have 10 days off, but a lot of people thought Washington was the better football team and they show that they were on the football field Sunday. So the fact that the Giants were able to tie them is pretty impressive, despite controlling most of the fourth quarter. You can blame two moments in this game for why the Giants didn't win. The Darius Slayton drop, which was horrible, and then the John Feliciano taunting penalty after Slayton made a nice catch. And um, I'll say this very nicely. John Feliciano should not be in big blue next season. Um,
0: By the way, Tom, you notice uh, one person who is not getting the blame from you and rightfully so shouldn't be getting the blame from you. Daniel Jones? Why, yes. Yeah. Look, man. Uh, Garth
1: says, with these Giants flashbacks, I think Hank is training for an appearance on Jeopardy. Um, Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's fair game now. Didn't the 21-day champ just lose last night on Jeopardy?
0: Yes, he did. He got beat by a really good, I think he was a professor, too. And that was one of uh, Chris's close games, actually. He was only up by seven hundred heading into final jeopardy. So I had a feeling that was going to be, be the one and sure enough, he got tripped up on a really tough final jeopardy question. So good for Andy overtaking Chris Panula, but Chris obviously has nothing to be ashamed over 25, 21 wins. And, you know, he will obviously earn the first spot in the new tournament of champions. So yeah. definitely a great run after what was also a really good tournament of champions, not too long ago. Steve says, feels more like a loss than
1: a tie. Uh, Yes, Ty always leaves you with an empty feeling. It's definitely tough. This wasn't on Jones. He has been playing his ass off, oh yeah, um, two hundred yards through the air seventy one on the ground no turn- uh he did have the fumble early, but after that he was turnoverless again, no interceptions. uh what he's been able to do with guys named Darius Slayton and Isaiah Hodgins, who's been a diamond in the rough, five catches for forty four yards and one touchdown um, shows you that Daniel Jones deserves to be the quarterback for at least the next season or two with the way he's been playing this year in big blue, Hank. Do you agree with that?
0: Absolutely. And I want to piggyback off of uh, what Steve previously just said. I don't know that a tie is necessarily the worst thing in the world. I mean, definitely it feels like a missed opportunity for the Giants, especially – with those plays that you just mentioned. But I mean, this very well could help us because let's say they end up um, being close with Seattle. The giants could end up leading in what now that there's a tie, I'm going to have to use one of my favorite John, one of my low-key favorite John Sterling sayings, the all important loss column.
1: That's very true. Um, Steve has another good comment that I'd like to address. It amazes me how many Giants fans keep pilling on the guy. He's doing. I think think piling is the sort of word. My eyes are deceiving me. Um, He's doing the best he can with a lack of weapons. Um, Yeah, we just mentioned Isaiah Hodgins had five catches. When that man has five catches, uh, clearly you have a lack of weapons. So um, give credit to Jones. Uh, give credit to Evan Neal. He had a great game, even though Slayton had the bad drop. He was consistent for the most part. Daniel Bellinger back in the lineup. That was a sign in the right direction. And the defense, Hank, five sacks, Kayvon Thibodeau finally getting another sack as he's Ojolari back in the lineup. Fabian Moreau back in the lineup. We knew Taylor Heineke was going to get his receivers their fair share of yards. But for me, Offensively, what hurt the Giants was the play of their interior O line giving up four sacks. Uh, Dron Payne and Jonathan Allen really did a nice job for Washington. And I think all in all, um, these two teams are very evenly matched. And now, week 15, that game being flexed to Sunday night football is going to be, uh, basically another playoff game for us.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. This one actually has me pretty nervous, and the reason I say that, Washington is a bye week at, like, this week. Mm-hmm. And you know they're going to be looking at film over the Giants, whereas the Giants are going to be playing the Philadelphia Eagles and – To prove that Tom isn't lying about me not learning, I'm actually entertaining the idea of looking at tickets for that game, but that's a topic for another day. But either way, you know that's going to be a very, very tough battle for the New York Giants. But is it impossible? I mean, look, the Eagles are riding a high 11-1 and record, but there is always a chance that they could have a letdown. And look, Washington is the only team – that gave Philadelphia a blemish thus far on the season. So who's to say the Giants can't really do the same thing? It's definitely possible, and I think if they win this game, it goes a long way towards their playoff chances. But regardless of what happens in the Philadelphia game, Washington is going to be coming off a week where they will be resting, and they will probably be looking at film and – you have to think that they're probably going to find a way to adjust to the Giants the week after now.
1: Yeah. But at the same time too, we have a tough challenge in Philly, which could better prepare us for that week 15 matchup against Washington, which is a counter argument you can make to that point. But yeah, you're right. It is concerning. You know, Washington has two weeks off to prepare for us again. And speaking of Philly, here we go. Uh, Blowing out, The Titans, 35-10. to The A.J. Brown revenge game. Eight catches, 119 yards, and two touchdowns. That leads to the firing of Titans GM John Robinson after seven seasons. I'm amazed that the timing of this firing of their GM, um, man, really speaks volumes to how I guess he drove this team into the ground, not liking the return maybe they got for A.J. Brown. But let me tell you something. Jalen Hurts went off, man, 380 yards and three touchdowns. Devontae Smith had five for 102 as well in a score. Um, The defense held Derrick Henry to just 30 rushing yards. Um, Incredible performance by the Philadelphia Eagles and Hank. Regardless of who they're playing on their schedule, there's no secret. They're the best team in the NFL right now. As much as I hate to say it, it's true. They're playing very well and they deserve that credit.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They have been an absolute wagon this year and the one game that they lost, it's probably a game that they would have taken, you know, any other week I would imagine. And, you know, it's funny, they dominated the Titans so badly that caused them to fire a GM, despite the fact they're in first place. Although, I will say this regarding the John Robinson firing. I don't think it's as surprising as we're making, making it out to be. I think that the surprising part is really the timing of the whole thing. Now.
1: I would agree. Uh, Titans were definitely trending down downward. Um, You know, a lot of people didn't love the contract. They gave Ryan Tannehill um, the inability to give him weapons quarterback that clearly needs weapons. And the one weapon he does have left the game with an injury and in Traylon Burks after scoring a 25-yard touchdown, and the Titans were unable to take advantage of the Eagles' 12 penalties. It's not like Philly played a flawless game. Uh, defensively, they were hot. They had six sacks. They didn't let Derrick Henry do anything. Once Traylon Burks left the game, it was much easier to contain and control Derrick Henry. Um, Josh Sweat was incredible. Two sacks and three quarterback hits. Hassan Reddick, a sack and four quarterback hits. They have five players with five or more sacks this year. And the combination of their offense and defense, each being top three in the league respectively, I mean, come on. Uh, it, for me, I would have given Robinson till the end of the season because let's be real. I mean, how often does a team fire their GM when they're above 500-1? Um, they're clearly going to the playoffs because there's no other team in this division that can compete. Uh, not even Jacksonville, who I actually think is the second best team over Indianapolis. Um. So yeah, I guess you're right. The timing is what's more alarming to me. Mike Vrabel must have had something to do with this, you know, because clearly we know Vrabel is there for the long haul.
0: He's a fantastic NFL coach. So um, I really think Mike Vrabel has cleaned up. Has really been like masking a lot of the mistakes that uh that John Robinson made. I mean, look, yeah. let's not forget. I mean. Not only did he trade A.J. Brown, but you know he did that in, like, a panic move because of uh, the whole Julio Jones thing. Yeah. And let's not forget, he also has been absolutely horrible at drafting. I mean, Corey Davis with the fifth overall pick. Remember that. Isaiah Wilson also. Really, really bad pick. Like, how how have the Titans, like been able to win i it's obviously been mike rabel the coaching yeah
1: the coaching and having arguably the best
0: running back in football that's how jamie says hello hang thanks mom always a pleasure to see you commenting thank
1: you very much jamie merry wednesday to you as well um we'll be back tomorrow night as well so if you can't get enough of us now we'll be right back at it with sam tomorrow night on big blue so Keep the comments coming, folks. Uh, make sure to give the show a like as well. It's not just because we're like bait people. Um, it helps with the algorithm. It actually shares the show more if you leave a like on the show. So we really appreciate that. Um, and, of course, we love comments too. But let's get on to the next game, Hank. The San Francisco 49ers defeat the Miami Dolphins 33-17, to a game where San Francisco lost. Their starting quarterback, Jimmy G, who has been ruled out for the season with a broken foot. Brutal loss. Um, He was their backup to Trey Lance this season. So now they're down to Brock Purdy, who wound up not being half bad. He helped win them the game. He threw for 210 yards and two scores. Did have one interception. But I mean, when you have a running back like Christian McCaffrey on a really, really good football team and a really well-organized offense, It doesn't matter who's playing quarterback. You know, Brock Purdy, all he has to do is manage the game well. Uh, McCaffrey had 80 receiving yards and a touchdown, 66 yards on the ground. And the 49ers have the best pass rusher in football this year, Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa had three sacks. The 49ers' defense forced four turnovers, and they made a potential MVP candidate this year look like an amateur rookie. That's how good their defense is, Hank. Tuatago Vailoa looked really bad on a lot of his throws had two interceptions his QBR was atrocious Waddle only had one catch it seemed like San Francisco was fine with giving up the yards to Tyree kill because the Dolphins couldn't run the football they couldn't get the ball to Waddle Shanahan has studied his protege he knows what he likes to do and vice versa of course but I mean I'm sorry you know it, it, it was tough going for Miami on Sunday.
0: Yeah, no, I thought Miami would have a chance there, but obviously the Niners are an extremely deep team, although I still wonder if that's a, if that injury to Jimmy G could very well be conference-altering because, I mean, that was pretty bad. And say what you want about Jimmy G. He wins games. No? He does. He wins games. And, you know, while you still got weapons like CMC and Debo, and and I still do, I still have my concerns about the 49ers going forward. But as far as, you know, the Dolphins go, I think they'll definitely bounce back. I mean, it's not, Tua hasn't really had too many bad games this year.
1: No, he hasn't, but Sunday was one of them, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, McDaniel just got out coached. I mean, credit to him. He admitted, like, I screwed up. He even said that on a hot mic. So, again, Miami's offense was not good. They only ran for 33 yards. They were 0 for 7 on third down, and San Francisco controlled the ball for 40 minutes. That is how the 49ers win football games. And they did it. Shout out to them. They're 8 and 4. Uh, we'll see if they can beat Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks this week. We'll get there, but um, even without Jimmy G, they're still looking good as far as their division goes. Let's see if they can keep it up. Steve has a question Is Rabel the best ex player turned coach ever?
0: Uh, no, there are plenty that I can think of who are excellent Tom Landry, Mike Ditka, to name a few. Hmm. Ditka was also one of the best tight ends in NFL history, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I would probably put uh Tony Dungy up there. He was, a, he was on the steel curtain, maybe throw in uh Don Shula and, uh, Marty Schottenheimer. The, the list goes on and on, but no, I, I would probably call that a stretch. I think there are other historically good ones.
1: I would agree, but I, I, I would give you this.
0: Um, he's, he's up, he's definitely going to be on that list. As now. far as recent
1: memory goes, he is the best as far as like the last 10 to 20 years. um, Absolutely. Um,
0: Yeah. Recently, if we're talking about recently, then yes. But even then, I think, I think you definitely have to consider guys such as Tony Dungy. And obviously when I think of the best player turn coach, I probably would lean towards, Tom Landry, since, I mean, we forget that he actually was safety with the Giants back in the 50s before he became the defensive coordinator.
1: Next up, Bengals top the Chiefs 27-24. Joe Burrow, Joe Cool, is now 3-0 against Kansas City. Hank, I care about you. Don't do it. (laughs) Joe Burrow strikes once again against the Kansas City Chiefs. I called this, and Burrow was remarkable. Only six incompletions, two touchdowns through the air, one on the ground. There was no Joe Mixon for Joe Burrow in this game either. Um, So Joe Squared was not in the backfield. It was Samajay Pirine in the backfield who had 100 rushing yards. They had Jamar Chase back. Great to see him play. And Pat Mahomes was average. He was average in this game. The the Bengals had no turnovers. Travis Kelsey had a costly fumble. Are the Cincinnati Bengals legit AFC contenders once again? They started off the season slow, but now things are starting to fall into place, Hank. They have their offensive line healthy, and my gosh, they look scary, especially now with Lamar Jackson's injury. They might even move up to a three seed.
0: I mean – can I piggyback and add another question there? Would you, you consider Joe Burrow to be a legitimate MVP candidate? Because he like won a lot of these games without Jamar Chase. I think you have to at least consider him. I'm not saying he's definitely like there for sure. I think there are a lot yeah. of like good MVP candidates out there. But I think you have to put Joe Burrow in the mix. They had that one bad loss against the Browns back around Halloween time. Remember that? I think it was on Halloween, actually. Other than that, though, he's been a big reason as to why they're the way they are. and I don't think they've lost since then either. No. And, yeah, no, I think they definitely are AFC contenders for sure. And, you know, now they're pretty much, like, inching closer to the division because, I mean, hey, if, if you're the Ra- you have to ask yourself this, if you're the Ravens. Are you? I when are you starting to feel like those losses have come back to haunt you? Because look at how they've lost every single one of their games. Jaguars gave up a touchdown, two point conversion, and I hope I didn't trigger Fons just now with that comment. By the way, about it's how, all right. I think
1: he's at a bar stool podcast tonight, so
0: he. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I and think. then obviously we know how our Giants came back against them in what I like to call the Wink Martindale Revenge Tour. And then they also remind me who their other two losses were against the bills. Yes. Oh, the bills. One's really going to come back to haunt them.
1: Um, they lost to the bills, the Browns us. And then there's one more game.
0: Was it Miami? Yes. Miami. That was the one where they Mm -hmm. had a, they had a really big lead too. Yeah. Um, and let's not kid ourselves,
1: they beat the Broncos at home by one point.
0: Broncos country, let's ride. With
1: Tyler Huntley, yeah. So, look, it's, it's rough. It's rough. But I, I do think the Bengals are contenders. I don't know how Tyler Huntley's going to fare out the next couple of weeks. In fact, the Steelers are trending up, and the Ravens have to contend with them this week. I think Kenny Pickett could lead the Steelers to a victory over the Baltimore Ravens, which – put Cincinnati in prime striking position, you know? So all in all, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say the Bengals are winning the AFC North. They're winning the AFC North. And I'll go as far as this. They win multiple playoff games again, again,
0: multiple playoff games. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't, again, it wouldn't really surprise me. And, look, as great as the Buffalo Bills are, and you know that I've been pretty high on the Buffalo Bills train, how do we know that the Von Miller injury isn't going to be one that significantly impacts them?
1: Right. Well, with the way the seeding is right now, the Bengals would play the Chiefs. um, Or, okay, the Bengals would not play the Chiefs. If the Bengals were to beat the – I think the Bengals are the five seed right now, so they would wind up playing – the Titans. So they play them and then they'd have to go up against Buffalo. But if they win the division, they'll get the six seed and then they'll get either the chiefs or the bills right now. It would be the chiefs because the bills are on the head to head tiebreaker. So that that's how that would play out. But again, there's a lot to be seen and I think the Bengals have inserted their name as a third team in the AFC that could potentially contend between the chiefs and the bills. And I'm not sleeping on the dolphins, but they have to win a playoff game before I view them as a contender.
0: I'll tell you this, though. I am very high on Tua, despite his, you know, average showing.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's had a very, very good season. And speaking of very, very good seasons, I'll tell you somebody who has not had a very good season, and it's been Tom Brady. Uh, the Bucs rally to beat the Saints on Monday Night Football by one point. The Saints led 16-3. to With just over five minutes left in the game in the fourth quarter. And Hank, 45-year-old Tom Brady, proves everybody wrong once again. 10-play. What up? Speaking of don't do it, I care about you. Yeah. 10-play, 91-yard drive in just under two and a half minutes. And then an 11-play, 63-yard drive in just under two and a half minutes to win the football game. Incredible performance um two touchdown passes late Kate Otten and then Rashad White to win the game Levante David and Carl Nassib really stepped up defensively the Bucks' defense did a good job stopping Alvin Kamara just 26 yards on the ground and now all of a sudden people are calling for Dennis Allen to be out in New Orleans but the bigger question is Hank is Tom Brady back and don't get me wrong I never think he left but is he mentally back? You get what I'm saying? Is he mentally back in that football mind and ready to lead his team to a
0: playoff run? Um. Well, I mean, what am I supposed to say? Uh, it's uh fool's gold or am I supposed <laughs> to tell you that, oh, it's Tom Brady. He's the greatest quarterback of all time. Like, Obviously, you know, he's still going to have those vintage Tom Brady moments every once in a while. And you look at the Buccaneers, even with their six and six record, you know how talented this team is on paper. Mm -hmm. So. No, of course, I'm not going to count out the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but at the same time, there's also a reason why they've lost a good amount of games like. Part of it obviously might have to do with the fact that you've seen moments where Tom Brady has looked at his age, although also a good, amount, good part of it is do you really trust Todd Bowles in a lot of those big games? I feel yeah. like some of those games they win are really in spite of him as opposed to because of him.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a difficult situation. I think the coaching might be holding Brady back a little bit this year, but all in all, the Bucks are still a threat. They're going to win that. The, that division, and they're likely going to draw the Cowboys in the first round, uh, if not the Eagles. Depends on who wins that the that the that division. Right now, it looks like the Eagles will, so they'll probably get Dallas. But um, I wouldn't put it past Tom Brady home playoff game against the Cowboys. Go out and get a win. I wouldn't put it past them at all. Uh, yeah. But,
0: so that now that makes winning that division all all the more important.
1: Yeah. And fun
0: fact, do you know how many times uh, Tom Brady has lost to the Cowboys? You would happen to be correct.
1: Yep, yep. Um, and hopefully the Bucks will be healthier by that point as well, but we'll see. We will see. So that'll wrap up our Week 13 recap, and we're going to head to our studs and duds segment. So Hank, I'm going to name a stud. You're going to name a stud. We're going to name – I'm going to name five each. If you have five each, uh, cool. But um, we're going to go over this now. And my first stud of the week is Joe Burrow. Uh, Once again, proving why he should be an MVP candidate this season. Outstanding performance against the Kansas City Chiefs. And uh, my gosh, the poise and the nonchalantness late in games, it really
0: reminds you of a younger Tom Brady. He really does. I mean, you saying reminds me of a young Tom Brady. I don't know if I want to go there just yet, but the he does have that it factor that a lot of other quarterbacks don't have. So I'll definitely give you that. And you, you look at how he was during the playoffs. He was just so cool and calm under pressure. So. And, you know, probably – and it almost led them to the Super Bowl. Who knows? Could they b- even be back there yet again? Wouldn't surprise me. It could. It could and like I said, I legit yeah. think you can make an argument for him to be an MVP. And again, now granted, I'm not saying he should win the award, but I just think an argument could be made.
1: Sure. I definitely think so. Hank, who's
0: your first stud of the week? You know what? Speaking of a guy we just mentioned Why not go with Tom Brady? I mean, down by two touchdowns with, like, about five and a half minutes left in the game. Comes back like it's nothing. I mean, granted, it was still the New Orleans Saints, who really have no business competing for a playoff spot. But because they're in the NFC South, you know, so I have to use the um, the dumb and dumber quote. So you're telling me there's a chance. Well, that chance is pretty much gone since... I believe Tom Brady ended up sweeping the New Orleans Saints this year, and now the Saints are 4-9, and nine, and we know that one dud who may or may not be on both of the, both of our lists will probably be losing his job, although personally I don't really think he should have been hired to begin with, but that's the story for another day. Uh, regardless, another comeback from Tom Brady with three seconds left. He just continues to do well, even in his age forty five season. Symbols that.
1: That's a great pick, Hank. My next stud of the week is Jared Goff. Goff had a remarkable performance as the Detroit Lions defeated the Jacksonville Jaguars forty to fourteen. His second season up north in Detroit, Goff is really hitting it on the last few weeks. They're now five and seven, and they have a huge game against the Minnesota Vikings. Um, in fact, I believe the lions are currently second place in their, di- their, in their division. They still have a chance for a wild card, uh, very important game at home against the Minnesota Vikings this week. Um, partially due to the fact he has Amon Ross St. Brown back healthy. And even though they traded TJ Hawkinson earlier this season, golf is still finding ways to get it done. And, you know, it's a very, very impressive feat to accomplish. Um, Luckily, he has a good offensive line in front of him that allows him time to throw and deliver the football. But, man, uh, Jared Goff had a really good Week 13.
0: Yeah, I uh, like that pick. I would actually, to follow up, go with Amon Ross St. Brown as my next uh, okay. stud. I think definitely the performance, the both of them go hand in hand and were a big reason as to why the Lions were able to, you know, destroy the uh, – the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, but I mean, it's funny. I was kind of high on both of those teams before the season and yet they both were facing a four and seven record and pretty much needed to win to somehow uh, sustain any chance of, uh, you know, playoff chance.
1: I definitely agree. That's a great pick. He was one of my honorable mentions for this week. So I'm glad you picked him. My next stud, another quarterback, it's Jalen Hurts, a 380 yards, The outstanding performance, putting up 35 points against the Titans defense, led by a defensive-minded head coach. I mean, it's absolutely outstanding. Hurts, MVP candidate this season. Uh, He's been outstanding. Uh, Again, I wouldn't put him as far as an MVP candidate, but a lot of people are putting him in that category. And he's clearly doing something right. He's playing like a top 10 QB in the NFL right now, and you have to give him the love words due. Uh, Jalen Hurts continues to flourish, and the Eagles are flying high at 11-1, heading into a Week 14 NFC East battle with the Giants. Jalen Hurts is my next stud of the
0: week. Once again, you're going to see another pattern here. I am going to go with A.J. Brown because, once again, as amazing of a performance as Jalen Hurts had, I think A.J. Brown's game was definitely A.J. Brown posted numbers that were absolutely unreal. Eight eight, uh, catches for 119 yards, two touchdowns, and of course you knew he had to save that really good performance for a game against his old team. And, you know, hey, for a guy to do that and practically get his old GM fired, I mean, if that's not a revenge game, I don't know what it is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's a good pick also on my honorable mentions. And my last stud of the week, since he took Tom Brady, I'm going to go next up and say Josh Jacobs, the NFL's leading rusher from the Las Vegas Raiders, who all of a sudden are in the mix for a playoff spot. Josh Jacobs has 1,303 rushing yards on a season with 10 touchdowns. This past week against the Los Angeles Chargers, Josh Jacobs had 144 rushing yards. One touchdown averaging five and a half yards per carry. Um, Outstanding season for the fourth year back uh, out of Alabama. I'm very impressed with Josh Jacobs and what he's been able to do this season. And more importantly, stay healthy on the football field. Hank, who is your final stud of the week?
0: My final stud of the week. Now, I'm going to go a little bit outside the box with this one and not to ma- make a pun out of a certain uh, network that we're friendly with. Uh, I am going to go with Kayvon Thibodeau. Now, why would I go there, you might ask? Well, he had a big sack in the game for the Giants and one that I thought was this close to helping the Giants win the game. And while the numbers might not say that, he continues to improve and put more pressures. On the quarterback, he had four in that game, and over the past few games, he actually has had a total of 13 pressures, six QB hits, and six hurries. I think he is slowly developing into a star, and I think now that Aziz Ojalari is healthy, I think he's going to get even better with the bigger the games this season. I, I really think that. Mark my words.
1: I agree. I think that's a really good pick, Um, under-the-radar pick for sure. But let's move into our duds. Um, My first one is the Los Angeles Chargers head coach, Brandon Staley. Again, going for it five times on fourth down is not okay with me, especially in a very pivotal divisional game. Uh, Just not a good look. Uh, Again, it just seems like he's lost out there coaching the game, and the Chargers are 6-6. and due to the fact of his coaching and all the injuries they've suffered. You know, I feel like Justin Herbert should have been up there as an MVP candidate this season, and unfortunately he's not, uh, due to the fact that, you know, the Chargers aren't calling the necessary plays and putting him in positions to succeed. I think if you get in a coach that more suits Justin Herbert's needs and the team needs as a whole, um, you know, I think the Chargers would be much better than 6-6, and but
0: Brandon Staley is my first dud of the week. I'm going to go with another coach and I mentioned him beforehand and I kind of spoiled it, but it's going to be Dennis Allen. Why you would hoard a timeout like that in the fourth quarter? I have no idea. And Tom, can you tell me what is it with these coaches this year and just like trying to hoard these precious timeout? It's like, uh, oh, I want my timeout. I don't want to lose it. I got to keep it as close to me as all times.
1: Yeah. That's a good pick. It's definitely a good pick. I mean, hell, the Saints are 4-9 for a reason, right? Um
0: ask, um, ask Jeff Saturday and Todd Bowles the week before against the Browns how that worked out. Exactly.
1: <laughs> my next dud, and Noah's going to really appreciate this. If you're watching Noah, click, click. Marcus Margiota. Yes, I said it. Margiota. Uh, he had another pedestrian week, continues to prove why he's a bridge quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons, and they're now 5-8. and eight. And Mariota's future is very unclear. Again, clearly a favoritism acquisition in the offseason because he spent time with Arthur Smith previously, Um, He's not sure where his mind's at, he said in an interview. So is there a chance he gets benched for Desmond Ritter soon? I think so. Um, If the Falcons want to make a run at the NFC South title, I would put in Desmond Ritter sooner than later. Um, You want to see what you got in this kid, and who knows, right? You know Mariota's going to give you inconsistent numbers, and that will not lead you to a playoff berth, in my opinion. Desmond Ritter, it's unknown. The Falcons could go either really south or really north of him at QB. And the fact that Drake London couldn't get involved in the offense at much at all until this week tells you everything you need to know about Marcus Margiota.
0: I mean, yeah, I like that pick too. And how about I go with a uh, shamed quarterback? for you to you know kind of segue uh deshaun watson i mean look yeah he um yeah you congratulations you beat the you beat the houston texans you only really you only really had 167 yards and the touchdown and interception what do you do you did it against the texans okay what am i supposed to give you a trophy not to
1: mention he was 12 for 22 with an interception as well. He looked really bad out there. Uh he he looked a little bit rusty and you know what? Uh yeah, he's a clown. He he's been a clown since uh last season when he was holding out with his contract. But uh the Sean Watson good pick. That was one of my picks as well. So I'll just get into my next one and it's the entire Indianapolis Colts offense. 5 turnovers. Matt Ryan looked awful. The offensive line sucked really, really bad, and their O-line is supposed to be really, really good uh, with Bernard Bryant, Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, Braden Smith. There's so many good players on that O-line, and they just disappeared this week. Uh, Alec Pierce had one really nice catch. Great. Where's the involvement for Michael Pittman Jr.? Uh, where is this running game with Jonathan Taylor? It's nowhere to be found. This Colts offense got embarrassed by the Dallas Cowboys, and – I was watching it on my TV and it looked like they were pretty much turning it over on every single play. They got the ball late. So uh, shout out Indianapolis Colts offense. You looked putrid this week.
0: Yep. I like that pick too. And so I would say my next dud, you know, I have to go with uh, Jalen Waddell. I mean, Look, say what you want about Tua Tonga-Vailoa's performance. It doesn't help when, you're, when one of your star receivers has only one catch for nine yards. Really? Not good.
1: That's a good pick. He was on my honorable mentions. And my last dud of the week is Derek Henry. Henry was held. To just, what was it, 30 rushing yards, I was saying. Unacceptable for Titans offense. I know Traylon Burks got hurt, and that really affected Tennessee's momentum. But uh, he has to do better. I know the Eagles front is pretty darn good. But Derrick Henry, a performance where you only rush for 30 yards, that's going to earn you dud status. Any others, Hank, you
0: want to add? Uh... Let's see. I mean, uh, I think that pretty much wraps it up for my duds. Alvin Kamara was also an honorable mention for me. 12 rushes for
1: 27 yards. Putrid. Oh, yeah. By Kamara. Yeah, that's not good. 26, actually. Even worse. <laughs> but yeah, you were being nice to him. It's OK. I was. I gave him that extra yard. Let's preview the top six week 14 games and let's start with the New York Jets at the Buffalo Bills. Jets are seven and five. They're on a little bit of a losing skid here. The Bills are nine and three, back at the top of the AFC, favored by nine and a half. Hank, who are you taking in this
0: game, and why? First, wait. Ho- hold on a second. Nine and a half against the division rival. I'd be a little worried about that. I mean, if I if we were talking about who I would take. Spread-wise, I would take the Jets to cover because of how good their defense is. However, who do I think is going to win outright? I would I would say it's going to be the Buffalo Bills.
1: I agree. I don't see the Jets beating the Bills twice this year, especially with Mike White at quarterback. All due respect to him. Um, there's no Brees Hall. We know Garrett Wilson can be effective, and we know the Bills are without Von Miller now, but they're a little bit healthier on the offensive side of the ball. James Cook is doing a good job lately to compliment Devin Singletary. Gabe Davis is back healthy, bought some knocks as well. So I'm going to go with the Buffalo Bills here. So we have a clean sweep for the Bills. Next up, 5-7 and seven Cleveland Browns at the 8-4 Cincinnati Bengals. We know the last time these two teams met on Halloween, this was Cincinnati's last loss. Hank, do the Browns sweep the Bengals in 2022 or do the Bengals –
0: continue their upward trend in the AFC. The Bengals will continue their upward trend. I don't see Joe Burrow losing that team twice, and this time you have, you have uh, Chase back.
1: I agree. I think the Bengals are going to win. I like, again, I know Hayden Hurst will not play, which is a big injury for them, but their defense has been great. Sam Hubbard, Trey Hendrickson, Logan Wilson, Joseph Asai, um uh, Bates they have a lot of guys back there that can make plays get in the face of the Sean Watson disrupt his momentum um again he doesn't look 100% comfortable yet it is a six point line um I could see it being a little bit closer than that but I feel comfortable with those six points for the Bengals especially since they're a different team than they were uh five weeks ago next up we have a very interesting matchup here The 10-2 Vikings are at the 5-7 Detroit Lions. This line was originally one point in Detroit's favor. Now, the five less win Detroit Lions are favored by two and a half over the 10-2 Minnesota Vikings. Hank, take your crack here, buddy.
0: I am going to go with the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings because I think they're simply a powerhouse and as much as I think Detroit will definitely make this a close game I have a bad feeling this is another one of those games where Dan Campbell's i gonna somehow gonna find a way to screw up and that's no offense to you Tom because I know you and I both love Dan Campbell I just don't like some of the calls that he's made this year
1: yeah that's definitely a tough one um look at home, Minnesota barely beat Detroit this year. Minnesota has dominated the division. Um, we know that Patrick Peterson's a little banged up. Cam Dantzler has been uh, eligible to return off of injured reserve, which is a huge lift for the Vikings' defense. Um, something about this road matchup worries me a little bit. I could view this as a trap game for the Vikings, but ultimately I do think they win by a minimal margin again. Um Again, the Lions are favored by two and a half, so clearly Vegas knows something here. Um, but let's see. DeAndre Swift is healthier now. Amon Ross St. Brown is in sync, but here's the problem. The Vikings have Hawkinson now. Last matchup, they didn't. So give me the uh, Vikings to win off a game-winning touchdown for TJ Hawkinson to put a gut-wrenching blow to his former team. Sorry, Dan Campbell. All right, next up um, – should we go over this game now or should we wait? I uh, All right, let, let's go to the Bucks at the 49ers. The Bucs are 6-6, six and, six, and they're taking on the 8-4 San Francisco 49ers. Brock Purdy is now at quarterback. The 49ers are favored by 3.5 at home. Hank, are you still riding the San Fran train, even with Brock Purdy on, on their center?
0: All I'm going to say is, Tom, don't do it. I care about you. I am going to go with Tom Brady. Not that a 49er win would necessarily surprise me, but, you know, I mean, it's Tom Brady. He's going to come back to haunt one of probably many teams that could have taken him. But still, uh, let me just uh, bring up this one name. Giovanni Carmazzi. You know who that is, right? Mm-hmm.
1: I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I'm mad that you picked the Bucks because I was going to do it. But um, the 49ers are 5-1 and one at home. They're a very dominant home team. The Bucks are not that good on the road. Um, they've been very inconsistent this year. Didn't they just lose to the Cleveland Browns two, two weeks ago? So that track record on the road is not looking too good. Um, I like the 49ers run game to keep Tom Brady off the football field, minimize his chances. Um, I'm going to go with the 49ers here to beat the Buccaneers. I'm going to go a little different on this one. All right. Uh, next up, we have the 8-4 and four, Miami Dolphins at the 6-6 six and six, Los Angeles Chargers. Hank,
0: who do you got here? I am taking the Miami Dolphins, and do you want to know why? Let's just say, even with him admitting that he screwed up yesterday, there is no way I am going to trust Brandon Staley over Mike McDaniel, and not to mention, I am also really high on the Tua train, and look, you knew the Dolphins are probably going to lose a game eventually. They're going to bounce back against the Chargers. Sorry, Garth.
1: I like Miami here as well. Um, I like Waddle to have a better game. Mike Jasicki. Uh on defense is pathetic. So I think the Dolphins are going to win on the road. They are favored by three. So we agree there. And a bonus game I'm adding here: the four and eight Jacksonville Jaguars will be on the road against the seven and five Tennessee Titans. Hank, who do you got in this
0: one? I. Upset special. Give me the Jags. Wow. Any reason why? Because it's going to be one of those divisional games where I just have a feeling Tennessee has a slip up. Now,
1: I ask you this. And you, you already know where I'm headed with this. Oh, I know. I know. Doug Peterson, Mike Vrabel. Doug Peterson, Mike Vrabel. Ah! <laughs> Give me the Titans. Mike Vrabel and Tennessee Titans get back on track and prove to eight and five on the season. They're the better coach team. Again, ran into a tough nose Philly team last week. Um, I can't see them losing again this week to the Jaguars. So that'll wrap it up for week 14 predictions. Um, Hank, hey, you, you almost got me there. Um, moving on to our next segment. We're going to talk about some college football, and I'm excited to talk about this. The college football playoff has been revealed, and the top four teams are listed below. Georgia will be taking on Ohio State. Uh, Georgia is the one seed. Ohio State is the four seed. And then the Michigan Wolverines, the number two seed, they'll be taking on the TCU Horn Frogs. 12-1. and one. Hank, did the committee get this one right this year?
0: Yes, I would agree. TCU had a really good year as the number three seed. And obviously, Georgia is absolutely loaded. I mean, for more information on that, I think we could ask our resident Bulldogs fan in Noah Dibler. And I agree with putting TCU over Ohio State simply because, from what I understand, Ohio State seemed to really have an easy schedule Compared to TCU, whereas TCU just had that one loss, they absolutely were worthy. And it's nice to see that, you know, the committee actually um, picked a really good, uh, good, a different team in there for a change. And there's only one SEC team in there this year. Um, Look, Georgia won out. They
1: won the SEC title game convincingly. They're the pure number one seed. Michigan won out as well. Won the Big Ten title game convincingly. They're clearly number two. And then TCU, while they lost the Big 12 title game to Kansas State, they did beat them earlier this year by 10 points. So you can't really hold that against them too much. I think at worst, they could have had an argument for bumping TCU down to the uh, four spot because Ohio State's only loss was to Michigan, who's at the two spot. But at the same time, uh, TCU has more wins, more impressive conference wins on their resume so I think the committee got this one right. Now I ask you this, um, did Alabama deserve any recognition with two losses for being in this final four?
0: Alabama, I mean, had a good season, but again, you look at how all these teams played, I think you had to put them in ahead of them. I Because sure. Alabama had some really bad losses.
1: What's up, Garth? Noah says committee got it right. I agree 100,000%. Garth says the Florida Gators landed a five-star number two nationally ranked quarterback in the 2024 class a couple of hours ago. Chomp, chomp. I believe he's referring to DJ Lagway, if I'm not mistaken. Um, That is a solid recruit there, Garth. Nick DiMartino, host of Out of Line, Friday, 7 p.m. on Revenue Preview Sports. Make sure to go check him out if you like college football and sports betting. He says, and Kansas State is a top 10 team. That's right. That win put them in the top 10. Uh, Kevin, what's up, buddy? Says, great analysis, Thomas, as always. Thank you very much for tuning in and the comment. Appreciate Football's you. Football's ball, Kevin. Nick follows up, says, Nat, Ohio State overall is a better team, but I'm fine with TCU being three. I do agree with this. I do think Ohio State is better than TCU, but I do also think TCU deserves to be the the three seed. Absolutely not, no Bama. Not only behind TCU and also behind Tennessee. Wow. Wow. Okay. I don't know if I'd put Bama behind Tennessee only because of that nightmare loss they had to South Carolina, but two losses and no conference championship appearance. Man, the hate for Alabama is roaring in the comments section, folks. Um, Folks, stay tuned. We're going to be talking about the quarterback transfer portal in just a few moments. Um, Says committee did a good job. The committee always gets it right at the end. Nick D, the question of the entire night. What are your picks? Um, I feel like that's been a common question asked to Nick lately. Uh, Nick, what are your picks? We'd love to know. Um, if you want to save them for out of line, that, that's cool too. But uh, we always love Nick's picks. Now, we move on to the segment I've been dying to talk about this evening. The college football transfer portal is wild. Quarterbacks have gone wild, switching, wanting to switch schools, putting their name in the transfer portal. And I'm going to plug a, a ticker here. This doesn't include everybody, Hank, but it includes a lot of the high-profile names everybody needs to know. Spencer Sanders, DJ Ukulele, Austin Reed, Kidan Slovis, Devin Leary, Graham Mertz, Mikey Keen, Drew Pine, Hudson Card, Brendan Armstrong and Drake May. Those are the top 10 to 11 guys we have here on the card. Um, this doesn't include Cade McNamara, who's already landed with Iowa. Um, this also doesn't include a few other names. But, um, Hank, I'm looking at this man and a lot of these guys, um, you know, DJ Ukulele, one year of eligibility. He was rumored to Notre Dame today, and I absolutely hate that. There's no way – Notre Dame goes out and gets DJ ukulele after he's gone 0-2 in South Bend over the last three seasons. He's an absolute shit show quarterback when it comes to big games. I don't know where he's going to end up, but it better not be South Bend.
0: Yeah, I would definitely – I can definitely see that. And um, Spencer Sanders is another guy that, like, I'm a little concerned with. I see that he has – His uh, passing yards are pretty high, but I think the percentage, the 57.6 percentage, though, with uh, Oklahoma State, that's kind of a red flag.
1: Yeah, uh, he's been shitted on a lot, and we have some comments here. Noah says, I'm glad the transfer portal isn't like it was five years ago, where you needed to give up your firstborn child and an arm and a leg to transfer, but this is a bit insane. 1,300 players on the portal, last I checked, roughly 10% of all the FBS rosters combined. I do agree. It is a little absurd. I don't know if there should be more um, uh, requirements for a player to transfer. Florida has contacted multiple of those guys as far as who's officially in the portal. Leary is my number one choice. It says it went from zero to a hundred in a theory. <laughs> Ukulele to UCLA or Cal. I, I think so because – I can view him as a Pac-12 quarterback, 100%. Every time I would pick Oklahoma State to win a game, Spencer Sanders would go 10 for 20 for 129 and three interceptions. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, before this season and the bowl game against the Fighting Irish last year, Spencer Sanders was not a good quarterback. Austin Reed is an interesting name out of Western Kentucky. A G5 quarterback led his team to eight wins this year. Um, Austin Reed wants to transfer to a Power 5 school. Keaton Slovis transferring again after going from USC to Pittsburgh. Uh, His stock has really declined as far as the NFL. But one player I really want to pinpoint, Hank, is Devin Leary, Uh, New Jersey kid, local guy, spent five seasons at NC State and has one year left of eligibility. I don't know about you, but this is my number one pick for Notre Dame. This is who I want Notre Dame to land. Um, I think he'd be a really good quarterback for this team. I could also see him landing in the Big Ten. Um, I think he's looking to get out of the ACC. I could see Leary potentially landing with um, potentially even an an Ohio State team because Stroud is going to the NFL. So I I think this could be very interesting. Maybe a Purdue. I'm I'm not sure, but Leary is definitely a highly coveted name on the market.
0: Yeah, let's. Um, let me take a look at him. I mean, his numbers numbers look pretty good to me. I think that would definitely help for sure.
1: As Tom, uh, yeah, and we actually just got breaking news. Oh, what's up, Hank? Breaking news. What's we do up? You have breaking news. Uh, According to Noah Dibler, Drake May announced he is returning to UNC in 2023. Time So I guess we can take his name off the um, ticker there, the transfer portal. Noah, uh, who from ESPN confirmed that? That's what I want to know because I'm very – I'm always a little skeptical to trust ESPN. So if you could let us know who from ESPN reported that, that would be much appreciated. Um, I'm gonna
0: look up myself, but and uh, Garth Garth just brought up a fun fact: broke Philip Rivers' stats at NC State last season. Wow. Yeah, I mean, oh, here he
1: is. 20 minutes ago, Drake May returning to North Carolina. Yep, he's right. Okay, cool. And Leary, yeah, Leary is a veteran. He, unfortunately, he had a season-ending injury that really hurt NC State and the Wolfpack, so I really think Leary could be a good quarterback for the Irish. That's where I want him to land. I could also see him going to an SEC school. Uh, Graham Mertz, Mikey Keene, and Drew Pine, three under-the-radar quarterbacks that are transferring. Mertz with two years left of eligibility, Keen with three, and Drew Pine with three transferring from Notre Dame. Um, that'll be very interesting to watch. And then the, the top three, with Drake May returning now to UNC, it pretty much leaves Hudson Card and Brennan Armstrong. Those are two top names. Hudson Card, quarterback for Texas. He was the backup to Ewers this season, came in and did a decent job. Ewers is the guy. Card won't get much time there, so he wants out. And then Brennan Armstrong, one year, of eligibility left, strong lefty quarterback out of UVA. Um, I'm interested to see where these two guys land. We have a couple comments here from Noah. He said, can never leave this place. I'm a tar heel. He wrote on Twitter. Leary is comfortably the best quarterback in the portal. Welcome to UGA. Frickin' Noah. Hartman is still a possibility, but only rumors thus far. That is Sam Hartman from Wake Forest. That would be an interesting get as well. Um, Where do you guys think Hudson Card and Brendan Armstrong are are landing? We want to know. I think uh, Hudson Card will stay in the SEC. I think Tennessee is an option, Hank, because Hendon Hooker is graduating, so Hudson Card could be a really good replacement for Hooker. Um, Tennessee, unfortunately, fell off the map a little bit this year.
0: Yeah, I would definitely say probably uh I would say probably uh not Notre Dame I'd probably say more like a southern school I'd say Texas sort of i again sorry, I'm not as like yeah I mean
1: it, it's 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 interesting though because he's he's playing in the SEC, but now with all this Nil stuff like nothing's guaranteed anymore you know so that's why this is really interesting and NOah says, oh there we go. CFB talk on Review Preview fires me up. Sweet tea tomorrow night, old boys. Sweet tea tomorrow night after Big Blue Avenue. I believe they're on at 8. We'll be on at 7. Hartman could work for Florida in 2023 until that five-star comes in for 2024. Garth says Tennessee depends on how much stock they've got. Incoming five-star freshman Nico Lamalee. Yeah, I forgot about him. Number two QB in the class that may have been promised a job right away. That's an interesting point, too. Um, I'm trying to look at who else could potentially. Bama's losing Bryce Young, but uh, they they have a pretty good backup. Um, I think the kid's name is Jalen something. Um, but yeah, man, if you have any comments on where these transfers might end up, the portal is going absolutely crazy. And Hank. I want to congratulate you I know you're not the biggest college football guy but your Michigan Wolverines did make a college football playoff it pains me to say that I know Steve would love you if he hears that but I hate Michigan so much
0: I mean look I'm I will never I will never consider myself to be a diehard Michigan fan the way I am with the Giants and the Rangers and the Yankees but that's really more because I never really went there I just have like sort of a family connection there but Yeah, I'm definitely pretty happy for them. And, you know, I need to um, bring up something that I mentioned on Game On. Like, isn't it great to see Jim Harbaugh winning after, like, so many people there were like, oh, Jim Harbaugh needs to be fired. We can't beat Ohio State. Well, you look at what happened in 18 or 19. Who were you going to who was the better coach that you were going to get to even beat Ohio State? Like, especially after they dealt with Rich Rodriguez and the infamous Brady Oak era. <laughs> but it's nice to see it either way. It's nice to see that he's pretty much established himself as a legend at Michigan, winning back-to-back Big Tens, which I don't. I, I don't think that's happened – At all, or or if not, probably since they had Bo Schembecker as their coach, no? Yeah, it's been a while. And Michigan, it's it's funny for all the talk of how like big they are, like in the cult that they have fan base wise. So again, as as somebody who's a casual fan, I have no problem admitting that the Michigan fan base is a cult. Like, let's be real, like, that's not a team that's had a winning history. Yeah. No, Michigan, I I would. And I have no problem saying this. The Michigan fan base kind of reminds me of the Toronto Maple Leafs in the NHL. Like That's true. They, they get all like excited and they talk all this stuff, but yet their team hasn't won a Stanley Cup since, uh, since LBJ was in office.
1: And I think, yeah, that's a good point. Lyndon Baines Johnson. <laughs> um, I think Max Duggan is going to give the Wolverines everything they could handle. I know he was invited. Um, he's one of the Heisman finalists along with C.J. Stroud, Stetson Bennett, um, I think Bryce Young. So it it's going to be interesting to see how this all unfolds. Actually, I don't know if Young is a finalist. I think it's just those three. But uh, Grant Merge would look great at South Alabama. That's around his skill level. Caleb Williams is the other one. That's right. There is four. It's Caleb Williams, C.J. Stroud, uh, Max Duggan, and Stetson Bennett. Those are the four. Um, Noah's a funny guy, man. Hank officially no. Hank has not officially picked a team. Hank, I'm not going to speak on behalf of you, but haven't you been a uh, closet Wolverines fan for a while? I wouldn't
0: say closet. I just like like them. I'm a casual like yeah, fan. I will never he's a casual. It's it's pretty much the same way I support the Knicks. Essentially, Garth. Hey,
1: Amani Toomer did go there. Fun fact.
0: So did Mario Manningham. That's
1: right. Senior quarterback Spencer Petrus announces he is transferring to the McDonald's drive-thru. <laughs> Such an awful QB for Coach Ferenc out in Iowa. He's, gonna, he's losing his job to Cade McNamara, so he's going to have to go somewhere else if he wants to play. Prime example, if you make a good coaching hire, you give them multiple years to get their system in place. Uh, yes, because they – they're inheriting players who weren't theirs. So the perfect example is Marcus Freeman or even Napier for your Gators, Garth, right? Mm-hmm. You want to wait until his recruits become upperclassmen. Then you can make a fair judgment on this guy. If he is legit, mm-hmm. UM will make the national championship game this year and lose to UGA 35 to 20 screenshot this please. Cause we're going to fire it back on Noah. If it does happen,
0: uh, By the way, I take that back. Lloyd Carr was the last guy to win multiple back-to-back Big Ten. But either way, like, goes to show you, like, Michigan really hasn't had really a successful, like, run of it. Like, at least not lately until Harbaugh came along.
1: Yeah, Jim Harbaugh has turned that program around for sure. It took a little bit. Uh, Excuse me. Something upstairs scared the living crap out of me. But... uh, Brian Kelly got a 50-burger dropped on his head. Noah, um, Brian Kelly took your team to the test on Saturday, the way I saw it. Uh, Very well said, Tom. This is why you're a legend of the football CFP universe. I try. I try my hardest. Uh, But let's move on. Uh, Thank you all for tuning into our college football talk. Now our last segment of the evening, we got to get into Aaron Judge and Jacob DeGrom staying going i think we both could have predicted this would happen that aaron judge would stay with the yankees on a nine-year 360 million dollar deal hank talk to me about aaron judge and why don't you talk to me about john hayman
0: well first of all J- john hayman is not the most reliable source on twitter in fact he pretty much pulled up Bob Nightingale with the jumping the gun of tweets. So screw him and screw him for like scaring me into thinking I needed to make a short video the night before when turns out all I had to do was wait to just go on with you and talk about this news. But that's a rant for another day. But let's get right into the meat and potatoes of this Aaron Judge contract. And, you know, right off the bat, I'm going to tell you that, I am extremely relieved. And the reason I say I'm relieved before I'm happy is because, you know, think about it every single day since the season ended, it's uh, Oh, is Aaron judge going to stay with the Yankees? Is he going to go to the giants? And one of those, will he won't he suspenses. Now I wake up tomorrow morning. Won't be hearing any of that because we know that Aaron judge will be staying as a New York Yankee for the remainder of his career. And in fact, I can already picture his Monument Park plaque being made as it hangs out in center field. And I can already see his number 99 in the circular pinstripe as they retire it. So it's great to see a guy who's pretty much established himself as a Yankee legend and someone who everyone pretty much sees as the leader getting the bag and being able to stay with the Yankees long-term. And, you know, I still think the Yankees are going to get like probably a good amount of years out of him, like during that contract. However, let's look at the contract and let's look at how old he is because we need to put some perspective here. Aaron judge just had his age 30 season, 62 home runs, that is a season that is pretty much once in a lifetime, and there's no chance we're going to see something like that again out of Aaron Judge. But I still think he's obviously going to be serviceable for the – or not serviceable, but still very good for the next few years. But then when we get to the halfway point of that contract, this is where it is going to get ugly with a capital U because let's, let's not forget – He's going to be in his mid thirties. And this is a guy who has had a history of injuries. Now, granted, some of the injuries that he's had have been very freak. Like I remember being at the game, July 27th, 2018 against the Royals, when he got hit in the wrist and pretty much missed like all of August and most of September. And all, and we were worried that like he probably wasn't going to be back in the, uh, during the season, Missed a good chunk of uh, 2019, and then even the shortened 2020 season, he was, like, getting hot, hitting a home run on a, like, daily basis, but then all of a sudden, like, he gets hurt, and while the Yankees obviously made the playoffs that year, we know what happened. I'm trying to block as much of that 2020 season out of my memory bank, but then last year happens, he had a pretty solid season. I think he had, like, 35, like, or 39 home runs, really decent, but if you told me 62... I don't know if I would have believed that, but he gambled on himself, and look how it turned out. Nine years, $360 million, but again, like I said, the injuries are still one thing that's going to be a risk. And let's not forget, he has moments where he swings at those off-speed pitches and he'll strike out. So you're probably going to see more and more of that because these pitchers are going to learn – to adjust and the other thing there's one other big elephant in the room that i didn't address his performance in the postseason last year now again to be fair he wasn't the only yankee that didn't do well during the playoffs last year in fact i would say nearly the entire lineup didn't do well and that's why the yankees could not win a single game against the astros who who, to be fair were the best team in major league baseball but again with that having been said that's going to be questioned a lot. And even though you'll probably see the Yankees returning to the playoffs on a consistent basis until he has that 2009 a rod like postseason, those questions are not going to go away, but nevertheless, it's nice to see another career long Yankee in my career after having been spoiled with Derek Jeter. But then again, I'm not really going to put them in the same sentence until judge wins a ring. And again, that's no insult to Aaron Judge. That's that's just the facts. That's that's just how it is with New York Yankees baseball. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, and it was interesting too because Hal Steinbrenner had to seal the deal from his vacation in Italy because um, apparently, didn't somebody get a higher bid on him? Wasn't it the Padres
0: or something? It was. They offered him 400 million, but you know, I think really what it all was was Aaron Judge. Wanted to stay here. I think the only other team that really would have been a realistic possibility would have been the Giants, and that was because he grew up in the Bay Area. That was his hometown team. But you know, it turned out. I think he was really just using the Giants as like Leverage. bait during this yeah. whole thing. And you know, this was obviously a Hal Steinbrenner move because I mean, yeah. look, you know, if you saw how Brian Cashman was talking to Judge during the negotiations, and if you remember what Brian Cashman said during the Derek Jeter documentary about that ugly negotiation, then you know that Hal definitely stepped in because he knows as a businessman, we can't be losing a lot of our fans. I mean, let's face it. If, if John Heyman's tweet wasn't what we would call fake news, how many pitchforks and torches would you be seeing at yankee stadium right now and i totally agree with noah's comment right there
1: john Heyman should get boat raced i agree look at the end of the day my my opinion about this contract is it's a lot of money it's a lot of years but it had to be done it had to be done and
0: and it was oh, a damned if you do damned if you don't contract if we're being honest
1: right i feel this contract will be albatross by the time Judge is 35 or 36 like hank was saying and I don't,
0: I don't disagree, and let me give you um, three names for you. Mike Trout, Albert Pujols, yeah. Miguel Cabrera. What do those names have in common? Similar Guys who fate. were signed past 30. Well, actually, Mike Trout wasn't signed past 30. I take that back. But two of the three that I mentioned, Albert Pujols turned out to be a disaster. Miguel Cabrera, although again, I would also argue that the Tigers were just as much in fault for that because they never mm-hmm. should have put him at third base. That's neither here nor there. Those are examples of of why you got to be careful with giving a long-term contract to somebody like that past age 30. Look,
1: I'm happy for the Yankees that he's back. I think he's a huge part of this uh ball club, uh, this lineup, and he's a huge part of the power hitting as well. And he's a great fielder. So I think he's the full package and He's that five-tool athlete that you want to keep in the Bronx, and the Yankees got the job done. So, shout out to the Yankees. Now, we move to the other side of town in Queens where Mets fans were not so lucky. Before I get into this, I just want to get into a couple comments here. This shows the difference between the Yankees and the Mets, in my opinion. doesn't matter how successful each one is in the regular season. The Yankees can keep their players. The Mets can't. They will never be the number one attraction in the MLB, let alone their own city. I don't know if I entirely agree with that statement. I think the Grom left for a different reason than that. Um, The Grom will win Also, Noah,
0: did you forget that we had Robbie Cano and he ended up leaving? AL Cy Young.
1: Simeon and Seeger will make the all star team Rangers win 75 games.
0: Um, all right. Well, see, here's the thing about the Rangers like, let we me forget that they have an in, that they're building something interesting with like Bruce these Bochy. young pitching prospects such as Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter. Let me let me, and, let me get into the Grom
1: stuff, Hank, because I I want to I, I want to get my share in here. All right. So, oh, go for it. Sorry. This was very expected for the Mets to. Uh, not re-sign Jacob DeGrom. Jacob DeGrom did not want to be in Queens anymore. Uh, he wanted to get his family out of New York City, and I can't blame him. Um, you know, this is, in my opinion, some reasons outside of baseball are the reasons why Jacob DeGrom left. Um, five years, $185 million is a lot of money. Again, if you look at it from a baseball perspective, the Mets won 101 games last year. The Grom won five of those games, he had 11 starts. He won five of those 11 starts and the Mac, and the Mets won six of those 11 starts. That production can be replaced. Um, my, my issue here that it's unfortunate is that, um, I'm much more high on Jacob the ground than let's say a Max Scherzer or even a Justin Verlander at 39, 40 years old. Um, so at the end of the day, the Grom is a good, likable guy. And unfortunately, those likable guys that fall under the radar sometimes, you know, good personality guys, they don't want to stay here because the city's too big. And, you know, the Grom grew up in Florida. So I'm not shocked that he signed with the Texas Rangers. Um, you mentioned Bruce Bochy is building something down there. I do agree with that.
0: The thing is, that, did, that's did not going to come for right, himself
1: right. and his family. No, it's not going to come right away. But he made the best decision for himself and his family and his MLB future. And it wasn't with New York. And, um, you know, I hope fans, Mets fans can understand that. I hope they don't boo him when the Rangers come to town next season. I hope they cheer him because let, let's be real, Mets fans. How many times did DeGrom win us a baseball game that the Mets lost it at the end? How many times did DeGrom get a loss for giving up one run? and two hits through like seven, eight innings. How many times, Mets fans, did DeGrom win the Cy Young and barely finish over 500 record-wise? Okay, there's a lot of reasons why DeGrom left. Um, The Mets failed Jacob DeGrom and not vice versa. Uh, They wasted his excellent years. He's still an excellent baseball player, and we saw it this year when he came back from injury. But before the injury started, where was the fault on the Grom? The fault was on the Mets. It wasn't on the Grom. The Grom was here before the Steve Cohen days, right? Um, he didn't even let the Mets offer him anything. My question is, Hank, can you blame Jacob the Grom for not letting the Mets offer him a contract? My answer that, to that question is no, you can't fault him.
0: Yeah, and I don't really disagree. I think he's probably... I think he definitely still loves the Mets. I mean, I'm sure when with time, like you'll see him come back to City Field, he's going to go to the old timers day, assuming that continues to be a regular City Field tradition while the Cohen family owns the team. And not to mention, I don't know, I don't know about his number getting retired, but you can definitely see him getting put in your favorite part of City Field, the right side of that entrance and the Jackie Robinson rotunda. So, yeah, I would definitely agree that you can't blame him. And I think another reason you can't blame him is like I was getting at earlier, the Texas Rangers, people forget are like trying to build something. You got Bruce Bochi being the manager. He's been there, done that one, three world series with the San Francisco giants And you've got Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter on the way. Maybe those two eventually will complement him in the rotation. And I could also see Jacob Degrom possibly being the elder statesman too. So that's something to definitely watch out for. And, you know, you've got a really good lineup featuring young players on the Texas Rangers. So I think they might, well, I think they might surprise people. And I think they could probably finish above 500. I don't know that that's a team that's going to compete with the Seattle Mariners and certainly not with the Houston Astros. Even with the loss of Justin Verlander, you still have a really good pitching rotation there. And that lineup, like, they produce major league talent like it's nothing. I mean, we know about how they right. lost uh, Carlos Correa, and no big deal. They only replaced him with Jeremy Pena, who goes on to win the MVP of the, both the ALCS and the World Series.
1: But I'll go and say this. I think in a year or two from now, the Rangers can definitely be in playoff contention. I do. Yeah, for that sure. And, and maybe Jacob Drum is a big part of that. Noah says, side note here Quintana to the Mets is a solid mid rotation move. Oh, yeah. Two years. What was it? 26 million compared to Walker. The Phillies signed them for what? Four years, 72? I love it. And he's a lefty, too. Love it. And he's 33, I believe. Low risk, two year deal, number five starter. I like it a lot. Now, if he isn't 40, he doesn't fit their retirement home. Padres also offered more for Trey Turner. Yeah, that's a good point. How about raising talks for a new stadium? Would be awesome to see them get the following and support from the community like the Bolts get? This would help. Uh, help as in help fill the stadium?
0: No, I think what he means is I, I think it would it would definitely – Help with the support for like the Rays' as a whole because oh. you look where the Rays are played. Like I know, I know we like to say that Tropicana Field was the problem, but like that's only one part of the issue. The issue isn't just the fact that their that their stadium is like a yeah. dump. The problem is they play way too far from the downtown city of Tampa and practically the middle of nowhere. And if you live in the Tampa area, it's like pretty much a schlep to get over there. So right. if you if you put them in downtown Tappa, I don't really think I think you defi- that definitely solves their problem. And you look at how the Bucks and the Bolts have, have done like with marketing their team, whenever their teams are successful, the fans come out in droves. And it also helps that like, you know, you have the Glazers and the Vinix as good owners in that city the Vinics especially have done a really good job with transforming the culture of tampa Bay lightning
1: they have and you would hope the same for the tampa bay rays too their location is terrible currently yeah that's a good point the transportation in florida is much different um back to the the grom point here before we wrap this up garth says what tom is saying is that the grom to the mets is the rivers or herbert to the chargers I would not put Herbert in that category yet, but you could argue that, Garth, with Philip Rivers, a guy who was very successful in the regular season but never won anything. The difference is the Groms started in a World Series. Phillip Rivers never made it to a Super Bowl. That's the difference. Um, the Hall of Fame room will now only be 45% empty. Yeah, Jacob the Groms a Mets Hall of Famer, no doubt. He's even an MLB Hall of Famer, no doubt with that. Um, Even if he never wins a world series, I think he'll go down as one of the best pitchers of all time. Um, I'm going to miss him. Look, it hurts. It definitely hurts, but I'm more at peace with this because I expected this. And that's why I don't get as caught up in the emotions as your average Mets fan does is because you expect the worst to happen. You hope for the best, but you always expect the worst. And it's much easier as a sports fan to come to terms with things when you know, you've been hurt in the past. So, but Jacob the will definitely be dearly missed as a New York Met. We wish him nothing but the best in Texas. Hank, I really appreciate you joining me here tonight. This has been a lot of fun. We talked about several different topics. Um, I'm looking forward to talking to you more about our beloved New York Giants tomorrow night on Big Blue Avenue. So that should be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Tom, thanks as always for calling upon me to come and join you on Review and Preview. Even if it, even if more often than not, it's on short notice, you know I'm pretty much on standby and I'm always happy to come on, talk some sports with you. And of course, you know I'm also always looking forward to Big Blue Avenue on Thursday and should be uh, quite the game we have to preview there now. It'll be very, very, very fun to talk about. And, folks, remember to
1: subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Anchor, and TikTok as well at Review and Preview for all of our lovely exclusive content. Appreciate you all watching, and we will see you all next week. Have a good night, everybody.